This is Alicia Free, a badass belly dancer, musician, and real food enthusiast, here to help you feel a little lighter. Just a note that this interview was recorded in December 2019, right before the coronavirus outbreak, and it's being released in the thick of the outbreak in the U.S. So this interview is coronavirus-free, and I hope you enjoy having a pause in the coronavirus conversation by listening to this. I am so honored to feature this belly dance legend of our time, Suhaila Salampur. Suhaila started dancing at the age of two. The mother of tribal belly dance, Jamila Salampur, was also the mother of our guest, Suhaila. Born in the 60s, Suhaila grew up with her mother's format and the groundbreaking troupe Balanat. Suhaila has studied an array of Western dance forms, as well as some Eastern dance forms, in addition to belly dance. As she grew, Suhaila spent 10 years performing to live music in fancy nightclubs in the Middle East and Los Angeles. In the 90s, she began the Suhaila Dance Company, started directing the troupe her mother started, Balanat, and created the very widely respected Suhaila Salampur Belly Dance Certification Program. Similar to someone who tells you that they have a black belt in karate, when dancers say that they've completed any level of Suhaila or Jamila's belly dance format, you know that they worked their butts off and they grew so much from the experience. And both Suhaila and Jamila have done an unbelievable amount of work to raise belly dance up as an art form to be respected as much as ballet and modern dance. Suhaila, I interviewed one of your sweet students and our mutual friend, Anna Horn, the other day. Yes, I love Anna. Anna shares some great hair secrets in that interview, among many other treasures. Subscribe to these amazing interviews and they'll keep popping right up in your podcast listening feed. You can subscribe on aliciafree.com. That's A-L-I-C-I-A free.com, as well as any place you subscribe to podcasts. While I have not yet started my journey into Suhaila's format and certification program, Anna shared her experience and her admiration for the training that you've given her and so many others. So this is a chance to hear Suhaila's story. I'm throwing the questions that I ask in every interview out the airplane window and we're taking a trip to Suhaila land. And Suhaila, just to start and honor your family background, I read that your childhood was not easy and that you and your mother were born to dance, but your Iranian side of your family often made that very difficult. And you've really turned that around for your daughter, Isabella, the third in your family lineage of performers. So this podcast is all about what lights us up. And I can't wait to hear what you have to share. So let's begin. First, I just want to say that even though you say that you haven't started your journey with my format, you probably have. (laughs) And you just don't know it. So I'm not sure that there's anyone in the United States that has not been touched by the Salampur format. And I say that with all my heart and soul, because between my mother and Ibrahim Farah, they really birthed belly dance in America. And yes, my mother was credited with being the mother of tribal style belly dance because it was her vocabulary that is the foundation of the movement. My mother didn't really identify with being a tribal style belly dancer at all, which (laughs) I think is really interesting. But her movements and her vocabulary, of course, is what the tribal style belly dance is based on. And then, of course, the Suhaila format is, and all the isolations and all of that work is what the foundation of tribal fusion is based on. But my mom and myself, we consider ourselves classical oriental dancers, and we worked in nightclubs for years and years. So interesting. The way that the world sees us and wants to see us can be so different to the way that we feel ourselves and know ourselves. Well, yes, my mother was confused, like what happened to the belly dance world? Because when she started teaching in the 1940s, everything was based around, of course, the music and the culture. 
And that was the bond. And then later on, when we started having different terms, like tribal fusion, cab tribal, dark tribal, cabbage tribal, you know, it's like ordering a coffee at Starbucks. It separated us as an art form. Does that make sense? And so this was something that my mom and I both really felt sad about because what we focus on in the Salampore School is making sure that everybody is trained the same and there's a really strong foundation. So when you are trained well, you can work with any stylization. So the problem is the industry now, people come in and start learning a stylization right away and there's not the foundational training. But yes, my childhood was not easy and it wasn't easy for my mother either because, you know, my father's Middle Eastern and in the Middle East, it's not really something you're proud of if your wife or if your daughter wants to belly dance. It's the opposite. Yeah, you can belly dance for each other in the living room. That's what my aunts would do. They'd wait for the men to leave the house and go to work and then they would move the coffee table over and they would just spend all afternoon belly dancing for each other and crying and cooking. And then when there was a sign that the men were coming home, they'd pull the coffee table back, wipe their tears, open up the curtains and act like nothing happened. But they were dancing for each other. Yeah. (laughs) But putting on a costume and getting out on stage? Oh, no, no, no. That was for women of questionable morals. So, yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Have you seen the documentary They Dance at Night? I think it was made 2012. Well, it was made fairly recently in Egypt. Yeah, I did with her putting on her makeup, right? Oh, yeah. In the little mirror, like there was some interview you did where you were talking about getting ready in the basement with a mirror the size of a postcard. That's similar to what you see in that movie. The women are getting oh, ready yeah. with their daughter right next to them with this tiny mirror in their hand. And I did see that documentary. And it's funny because I didn't really in my head register that as a film or a documentary because it's so real. <laughs> Yeah, that was a great way for me to visualize what people have talked about, about the stigmatizing. I couldn't really wrap my head around it until I saw that movie and I went, ah, that's what it looks like. That's what it smells like. You know, it's something so foreign to me because of the way I came into dance was an Ivy League (laughs) school and a beautiful light-filled studio with very soft, kind people, you know. It's so different than the way most of the dance has reached people. You know, I think that that's probably one of the more difficult things to bridge the gap. What belly dance means to so many people is so different because what happens culturally is really different than what people take from it. As the director of the Salampore School, I'm always trying to handle the different reasons why people come to belly dance and make sure that there's a platform and a place for all of that because culturally it's not acceptable in any way to become a belly dancer. And like you were just saying, you came into it as a celebration and exploration, but you have the safety of being here without feeling that your life is in danger. I mean, outside of the Middle East where you have these wonderful communities and people come together and support each other and we sit there and we clap and we yell for each other and oh if you forgot your costume you can borrow mine it's not like that when I was working in the Middle East I had to be really careful not to upset other dancers because I remember one time walking off stage and coming into my dressing room and every single costume I had was sliced up. Somebody was upset with me because I was doing well and it's this competition and it's not just competition like stardom competition. It's livelihood I need to feed my kid competition. But here in this country and also in Europe and South America and Asia, these incredible communities have been built around this art form 
And it's really beautiful to watch. And that's what I try to focus on definitely is the celebration of it. But I also want to make sure that people understand the history of it because I think it's really important to understand the history and the culture because everything that you do that is a variation of that, I feel we should feel so lucky. Mm-hmm. When I was younger and my mom, you know, we were prepping me for what the next phases of my dance life would be. It was a no brainer that I would be trying to dance in the Middle East, you know. Now it's different. (laughs) The situation in the Middle East is totally different. The industry has changed so much. I've seen an interview that you did about that. A lot of it seems to be the loss of live music and venues that have a band. How do you see the biggest change? Well, I think it's political. And that's why it's so difficult to feel that you can represent the belly dance community without popping everybody's bubble. Dance is political. And this is the next wave of what's happening. But what's happening in the Middle East is not just the bands, but the reason the bands are being lost. And then 2011 was a revolution. You have this post-revolution kind of backlash. You see a lot of foreign dancers dancing in the Middle East now. And their over-exaggerated Western expression is a backlash to the fundamentalists. So it's really intense because you also have this whole generation of people that are influenced by reality shows and the Kardashians. So there's that kind of image of beauty and success. And, you know, in my day, there was no plastic surgery. (laughs) That's kind of a new thing, too. The view and the role and the image of women are more extreme now than ever. So you have women that are really more politically involved or religiously involved. And then you have this whole other backlash where the dancers represent almost the anti version of that political expression. It's really a different industry. So the loss of the band is not just a loss of the band. It's a loss of the arts. Even the music represents the melancholy position that the Middle East has right now. Like, you know, now the music is so geared towards just it all being shabby music. Shabby, shabby, shabby. Like, that's it. And shisha. So if you're not playing shabby music and you're not smoking shisha, it's really hard to fill a nightclub. And when a classical song comes on, like an Kulsum song, almost a heavy cloud comes over everybody's heart because it's almost too difficult to hear a reminiscent of a time that doesn't exist anymore. So it's not a simple answer. <laughs> and we just opened Salampur School in Egypt, but it's underground. You know, you can't have belly dance schools. That's illegal. And it's word of mouth and it's all very protected. Yeah, it's not as romantic as people think. We're trying to fight to keep the arts alive however we can. What made you want to come back to the U.S. after working abroad? Well, when I was working in the Middle East, it was really difficult because there was no cell phones and there was no Skype and there was no FaceTime and I was so lonely and I was very isolated and you start to confuse reality. I don't know if that makes sense, but you know, you're working and then you're on stage and then you have a band and then you can have a bigger band and you can have more costumes and then you're back on stage. And when you have a love for Arabic music, and I mean a love, like an addiction love for Arabic music, the moment on the stage is magical when you and the live band are one. And the hard part is that when you walk off the stage, then the loneliness and the isolation is so grand that you just can't wait to get back on the stage because it's the only place you're able to communicate and feel alive. 
So I was really worried when I was in the Middle East. I wanted to have a family. I wanted to have children. And I remember one night sitting at the edge of my bed and thinking that I could close my eyes and open them and like 10 years would have gone by. And I'd have more costumes and a bigger band. But I was worried that I would have gotten so caught up in that addiction of the music, that live music exchange, that I would miss the opportunity to create a family. And not just a literal family, like having children. I used to write in my diary every night and my morning pages. And I wanted to create a safe and positive environment for people to grow in this art form. I wanted to direct the Salonport School full time and really be able to nurture that. That I knew was my destiny and my future. Being on stage is really narcissistic. (laughs) And, you know, you have to find that balance. Being healthy in the narcissism, but you got to keep control of that beast. If I let the beast take over, how would I be able to leave the legacy? How would I be able to nurture my mother's legacy in the Salonpour School? And so I had to make a conscious decision to walk off the stage and come back home and start the school and my family and the Suhila Dance Company as well. But it was not easy. (laughs) And you've brought a lot of musicians into your school. Anna mentioned that you'll hear that so-and-so and and Udis is in town and you're like, oh, well, then let's get him in here. So it sounds like even though you've left the stage in the Middle East, you have brought the music into your studio and into this space that you've cultivated for this community. Yes. I think bringing Arabic music into the educational process within the Salonport School was a key component because we are very responsible culturally. I mean, what has happened to the dance form, like I was saying, is that we're so separate that there are even factions of this art form that are so fused that they don't even know what Arabic music is. I mean, it blows my mind, you know, like if I mention Um Kalsum or Wada or Farid or Atrash or like Abdul Wahab, I'll see dancers that have been dancing for years and years stare at me blankly like they have no idea. And I'm not sure that would happen in any other art form. I think it's important to always have the music and the culture that you're fusing from and you're evolving from as a part of the learning process. Crucial. I honestly didn't know the names of any of these artists, these composers, musicians, until I joined a band. I mean, honestly, I had been dancing for 12 years. I heard the music and I loved the music, but I didn't know much about it. Well, you know, it's not your fault because it's the educational systems that our students are coming through that aren't focusing on this. And part of it is because I think in belly dance, we're always kind of battling these two things. And one is it's an art form and it has a culture and history behind it. And then on the other side of it, dance is for everyone and it's all inclusive and let's just have fun. And it kind of borderlines on the Zumba-esque, you know, the Zumba vibe. And Mm -hmm. I teeter back and forth in that all the time because I'm like, no, you know, you guys have to understand the culture and you have to understand the history. And then on the other side, it's like, but be free and dance and enjoy yourself. (laughs) So I've had to make sure that the school has a nice, healthy balance of all of it. And in level one and in level two, you have no cultural responsibility. In level one and in level two of the Suhela format, there's no cultural context. It's really just about understanding your body and learning how to count music and learning placement and structure. And then it's only in level three, four, and five that we get into culture and history and musicality on a deeper level because I feel that it's just really overwhelming. And especially now we're talking about a culture that is in a crisis politically and spiritually and emotionally. And I think that as non-Middle Eastern you have to be very, very sensitive and careful not to just cherry pick and just use the culture for your own personal benefit.
benefit like as a non-Middle Easterner. And this is something I feel very strong about in my heart because I remember years ago, my family, we are Middle Eastern and actually Kurds on the Turkish side. <laughs> I grew up knowing my history and understanding my heritage really well. And then when I'm in this country, I see groups using the word gypsy. This is not Halloween and you don't just get to play dress up. These are people. This is a culture. This is history, you know? And now everybody's like, uh-oh, cultural appropriation. We better not use this word. We better not do this. And it's like, yeah, exactly. And this is what I was working on three decades ago <laughs> to create this foundation. Now, I think a lot of non-Middle Easterners are going, wait a minute, maybe we should know a little bit about the culture and not just think the costume's cool and we can just put it on and dance to whatever we feel like. I interviewed a hurdy-gurdy player. She's sassy and fun, Roxanne Boucher. And she was saying that she actually doesn't believe in cultural appropriation. She believes in assholes. <laughs> and I just love the way she said, she's like, I believe in ignorance. I think sometimes the term cultural appropriation, it seems like such a vague, big kind of thing. Like, when am I in that realm? When am I being politically incorrect? And then you're like, no, you're being an asshole. I think it's brilliant. And, you know, I just try to be as gentle as possible because the belly dance world there's sections and styles that are based on cultural appropriation. So I have to just, you know, bite my tongue. The way I try to handle it is that I try to produce as much educational material for everyone, not just the Salonpour School, but for anyone to be able to get the article book, anyone to be able to get the Salonpour School compendium. These are all the educational materials for anybody to read in any stylization or working with any teacher. And I just hope that the more educated people get, they start to question what they're doing. And I think that that's really healthy. And I have faith in people that the more they know, the more they want to know, and that they will make really great choices based on sensitivity and care and not ego. I couldn't agree more. It sounds so funny to say the more you know, but really, once you have a face to attach to this word or this concept or this move and a story to attach to it, then you see the person there. And it's hard because in belly dancing, we don't have a training ground that we all agree on. So if somebody says, you know, I've been belly dancing for 10 years and somebody says, oh, I've been belly dancing for 10 months, it means nothing. The, the one studying for 10 months might know more than the one studying for 10 years. Right. So we can't agree on a foundational training ground. If we did mm -hmm. and we all agreed on a language and we all agreed on the same training ground, well, then that would really unite us. And I think it would really be great for the art form. That's what I'm working on <laughs> with the school. Just looking at your family, Suhela, the way that you guys have made it accessible for all of us to tap into the wisdom that you've tapped into is unbelievable. It's so rare in the belly dance world to have somebody who puts out a compendium online that you can download you. instantly that is that <laughs> comprehensive. Yeah. You know, I just love that you guys have put so much work into making it easy for us to be part of it. Thank you for that, because it takes a lot of time and energy. And, you know, directing a school is a certain type of responsibility that I don't take lightly. I'm very committed to the school because the school and the educational material and then, of course, the structure of the school and the infrastructure of the school is something that's going to last way longer than just me. And that was why when I walked off the stage, 
stage, I knew that it was important because, you know, I could do another show and then do another show and then another round of applause and another standing ovation. But, you know, at the end, who cares? Like, if I can't solidify this legacy in this school, like, I really feel I've done nothing. <laughs> and so it has been an expense at times for my own personal expression. I don't perform as much as I used to, not even close, because the amount of energy it takes to run this school. And of course, yeah, I was also a single mother and I was the caretaker for my mother. When my mother got ill and was passing, she wouldn't let anybody touch her but me. <laughs> so I bathed her and fed her and cleaned her for years. And so doing that, raising a daughter and then also running the school, like to think of putting on eyelashes and lipstick and getting out on stage. Yeah, wow. no, thank you. <laughs> I would face plant by the end of the night. <laughs> I was just dead. But I was so happy. And even throughout the years, I've made sure to even withdraw myself and my name. Like now at Salampur School, it's very rare that we even use Suhaila Jamila at Salampur School. And it's not just my family. It's the part of your legacy, too. You know. Oh, I love that. I feel like it's rare in the artist communities to think about something in terms of a legacy and having satellite yeah. schools and creating a language that helps people communicate. It's not something, you know, a language that I have because this is my self-expression. You've created a language so that the community can get that much bigger and dance that much more. And I just have so much respect for the way that you've thought about all this and the way you've approached it. Well, thank you. And, you know, this year is the Salampur School's 70th anniversary. Wow. And last year was Balanat's 50th anniversary. And the school has been around a long time. There's not many schools in any dance form that have been around for 70 years. I think the Bolshoi Ballet Band. But other than that, I really think that the Salampur School, just as far as dance history, forget belly dance history, is very unique. And I've used the Alvin Ailey School model to create the structure in the Salampur School. You know, my mother passed away two years ago and the school is strong and someday I won't be here and the school will be strong. I want the school and the vision of the school that my mother had 70 years ago to continue and it will. But there's a thought process that goes into that, yes. And, you know, our format has been around a long time. And some students that have been through the school or been influenced by the school will go and take a lot of the material and then kind of change the names and then create their own format. And that's always been a little confusing for us because we're like, wait a minute, it's always been there. you know. And that's the other reason why we have online classes and we have archives of our classes because it's important for people to be able to read and view and study the history of the school in the format. And then they can see the value of everything that has been going on for the last 70 years. SalimporSchool.com is an amazing resource. Salimpur is spelled S-A-L-I-M and then P-O-U-R like pour a glass of water. SalimporSchool.com. And of course, you can follow the Salimpur School on Facebook and Instagram to see what the community has to offer. Now, 2009, I believe, is when you started the online training part of your program. Is that correct? I think we launched in 2009, but I was filming in 2008 for it. <laughs> yeah. Were there any other belly dance programs out there at that time that were online? Oh, no. As a matter of fact, I had the idea years before. I've made a bunch of videos in my day. You know, you set up this video and you film this one hour thing and then it goes out and then it's an hour, you know, whatever, or a choreography. But I was frustrated because I knew that for people to really grow, you have to be in a training ground. And so I wish the cameras could just be like a fly on the wall. 
And when I said that, I was like, oh my God, that's what I need. It was all really new. And I called my web guy and I said, listen, I have this idea and I want to make classes. And my web guy was like, yeah, it can't be done. I'm sorry. I was like, I need an hour and a half. I need 90 minutes at least. I need this. And like, no. And he said, unless you want to buy your own server, and that's going to cost you like 100 grand. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. So I had to wait for technology to catch up with my idea. And I remember when he called me in 2008, he was like, you know what? I think we can do it. But YouTube still was only doing at this point, I think 12 minutes or 15 minutes. And so when we launched the online classes, there was nothing like it, nothing in any form or platform. And so it's been really interesting for me to see how the online classes have expanded, not just mine, but now you have the yoga and the Pilates. And I mean, it's everywhere. But I've had a lot of people contact me, not in belly dance, outside of belly dance, and ask me to coach them and like kind of guide them on how I've done it because it's the future, you know. And our online class program is just huge. I mean, if you took a different class every day, you would probably get through all of the classes we have in two years, maybe. And we don't recommend that. We recommend wow. you repeating classes and concepts over and over. Yeah. I saw that celebrities like the famous comedian Margaret Cho have booked private lessons with you and have learned from you. Can you tell us a little bit about that? It is so much fun to work with artists that are working at a high level because they really are trying to incorporate the big vision of what it is that I have to offer. Like I remember one of the first private lessons I gave Margaret Cho, the whole lesson was on breath and integrating breath in movement. And that was huge. So it's not just like belly dance. It's really deeper than all of that. And I love that you also have opportunities on your website. So if somebody is working on a choreography and you need feedback, it looks like you can have a Skype feedback session with one of your instructors or you. Oh my God, what a great resource that is for people. Yes, I really want to make sure that the school is available to everyone. You don't even have to be a member or certified in the Salonport School. If you'd like feedback on a choreography or a show that you did, you can have a lesson just to have your performance watched and get feedback. And of course, within the school, that's something that we do a lot because the dancers in the Salonpour School, they really do appreciate the feedback from the higher level of teachers. And I think it's great because you can have a Skype private and then you can also get a Skype feedback or you can go through the certification program. We have level ones available online now. And there's just a lot that can happen and you don't really even have to travel. And I think that's really important for people. We're so busy these days, yeah. you know. But yeah, it's been really interesting for me to try to figure out ways to create community globally in this day and age. I'm really proud of our Salonpour collectives and Balanar because you can just even be level one certified in one of the formats. Like if you were just Suhela level one and you wanted to join a collective near you, we put you in touch with other dancers in the school that are also level one or two or higher in the program. And then you work together on choreographies that I assign like a different set for a season and a season is typically a year. And then you work on certain choreographies and we have costume kits and recommendations that we help you with. And you have a choreography captain and you have access to all of the feedback. You're not alone. And we have some Salonpour collectives around the world that are a member of one. <laughs> and that's fine too. They're waiting for other dancers to play with. And Balanat is the same way. We, we call it the United Nations of Balanat. Very cool. <laughs> 
because Bala Nod is global now. And so when you're level two certified in both the Suhila and the Jamila format, you are invited into Bala Nod and you have your first piece that you learn is our finale piece. And we do as a full cast. I mean, Bala Nod is literally global and very high level dancers, level two in both formats. I mean, it's so inclusive, all ages, all shapes, all sizes, all genders. I'm just so proud of Bala Nod. And I'll assign people dances and then they get their costume kits and you have your choreography captains. And then we meet in the town, like we're doing a Balanat show in Prague and we will meet on Saturday and the show is Sunday and it will look like we've been rehearsing for weeks. So cool. Because you got it set up. Yeah, it's really well structured and I have a lot of help. I have a great team and a great staff. And it's very exciting. In Prague, we have a cast of 90 people. Whoa, that'll be quite a party on stage. Oh, it is. It always is. You know what? We don't even know if anybody's (laughs) in the audience. We're having so much fun. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Suhaila, what do you wish someone told you when you first started dancing with Balanat when you were a kid? You know, I think that when I was a kid, because I was on stage before my second birthday, actually. (laughs) It was my happy place. So our house was really intense. When I was growing up, my mom and I, we would escape to the Renaissance Fair and Balanat was such a safe place. And it was where I felt like I could be free and open up my heart and my soul. And I'm not sure anybody could have told me anything different. I knew at a young age that there was a difference between what was happening at my home and then what was happening with Balanat. And so I chose Balanat to be my spirit family. If somebody could have told me one thing, I think I would have appreciated at that age if somebody had said to me that what is happening in my home will not define me and I'm going to be okay. Yeah. Not to let our past define us, the parts that we don't like, right? Yeah, I mean, I was always scared to go home. So when I was off the stage and going home, the way I would deal with things is really go inside. I'm an introvert, so I'd really go inside and kind of protect myself. But if somebody would have said to me, don't worry how you feel on stage, you will be able to feel that way in life. (laughs) Ah, The way you feel on stage, you can feel in life. That's amazing. Yeah, because it was the only time I was happy. When I was dancing was the only time I was happy as a child, yeah. I don't think people understand what my mom and I went through. It is not what defines us, but it is a part of our history and our past. And Facebook right now does these really cool things where you can sign up for a donation, like a fundraiser thing. It's kind of new, I think. And so for my birthday... I decided to sign up for the Oakland Elizabeth House, which is a shelter for women and men with their children when they're having to escape from domestic violence and restart their lives. And this is something that's really close to my heart because my mom and I had nowhere to go in the 60s. My mom would just grab me with the clothes on our back and we'd run to the police station. And in the 60s, there was nowhere to go. And police officers would just say, well, what did you do to upset your husband? And well, just don't do that. And he won't get mad or don't make him mad. (laughs) And we would just stand there. And I was so young. So my mom and I would ride the train up and down all night because we didn't have anywhere to go that my dad wouldn't have found us. And then my mom would hope that he would have calmed down and we went home. But there was nothing 
before us at that time. And so now to have these homes like the Oakland Elizabeth House, it's so close to my heart. And we raised $2,000 for my birthday, which was my goal. So I was so happy because Aww. I really feel that it's important that every human feels safe. Especially <laughs> and, at home. Oh my God. Yeah, I felt safe when I was on the stage. And that was what was important to me was to be able to create a life where I felt safe off the stage as well. And you can hear the theme of my life. Like when I was in the Middle East, my diaries were filled with me wanting to create safe places for people to be able to explore themselves creatively. I mean, that's a theme. Beautiful. So excellent that you can see your theme. Most of us are so steeped in it, we can't see it. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I feel really lucky that I've been able to understand and see my theme. And I think it's because I'm an introvert. I can look inside and listen inside. I was 28 years old when I walked off the nightclub stage. And that was very difficult because I was 28 years old. <laughs> but I had already at 28 been working six nights a week, two shows a night for 10 years. So I was really very satisfied with my career, but I wanted it to be more. Mm. I wanted the school, I wanted the community, and I wanted to be able to create the legacy and the foundation of Salesforce School for generations of dancers. And not just dancers, like Margaret Cho just wanted breath in her movement. That is so important. Love it. Let's play dress up. Make you shine, costume tip. Suhaila, I can't go any further without asking you about that costume with all the lace-up. Wait, we're in the Fitness Fusion video oh. in 2004. Oh my God, where did that come from? That's hilarious. That costume really made an impact. You know, it was a bathing suit. What? <laughs> yeah. It was a bathing suit and I loved the sides so much. And what I loved about it is that it was so light and my movement is so intricate that you really can't wear too much or the movement gets lost. And I'm very syncopated and I layer. So it was such a great costume for all that I wanted to do that it was so light and I just kind of step into it and put it on. And it was funny because it made such an impact, but it's very simple. It's a bathing suit that we covered. Wow. There's a costume tip. Find a bathing suit you love and turn it into a costume. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's all I did. (laughs) Right. And thinking about how much more forgiving that fabric is to subtle movements than like, you know, a hard sequined top with your stiffness and your belt. Like, wow, I didn't think about that. Yeah, I like the softness and the fluidity in it. Then the woman who created the costume out of the bathing suit, her name is Almisa, and she was just brilliant. She knows my body so well, and she just knew where to take out the tie strap in the back. I could never have a costume that tied in the back. Oh my God, I would have been flying all over the place. So she put a hook and band so I could dance in it because I'm a very aggressive performer. So the costume had to really hold on and it did. It was great and be light. I know. I'm glad you like that costume. It's one of my favorites. I've saved it for my daughter. Oh, that's (laughs) wonderful. It's almost got the, forgive me for using the term slave Leia, but like in the Star Wars movie where Princess Leia has that amazing costume. I did that once for Halloween because I'm obsessed with that costume too. Oh, that is so funny. It's just similar a little bit, but oh, that's so much fun to hear where that costume came from. Thank you. Yeah, identifies with that costume in a different way. And that was not the first video and time I wore it was when you were exposed to it. The Suhaila Solo video was when I debuted that costume. And I wouldn't let anybody see my costumes. And when I walked out on stage, the whole audience gasped, literally, (gasps) when I walked out on stage with that costume. The whole audience just went, (gasps) and I knew it wasn't from my entrance. (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> That's funny. If you have a costume tip to share, please send it my way via Facebook or an email through my site, aliciafree.com. That's A-L-I-C-I-A free, F-R-E-E. As Will Durant said, we are what we repeatedly do. So let us repeatedly do what the divinely lovely do. Feel good. Look good, Habit. You've got this like gorgeous glow to your skin too. You and your daughter, actually. I was looking at pictures of you both today. I read someone commented about it. It was someone your students commented about on Facebook and you said, I just drink water and healthy living. Do you want to say anything more about that? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm really lucky because my mom had great skin. Oh my God, she had the best skin and I feel like I've inherited her skin. So a lot of it is genetics and we have a lot of olive oil in our cooking. We're Mediterranean and so it's the olive oil, it's the avocados, it's the fat. <laughs> that is just so good for your skin. And I drink a lot of water. But the other thing too, I think that what people see on the outside is what's projecting on the inside. And my mom was a very, very happy. She loved the dance and she loved her community. And my mom never made me feel that aging was stressful or bad. She always was proud of her age. And my mom used no facial products. She just used like a bar of soap. She was like the amount of money that people put into facial and even the term anti-aging to me is just so negative because I'm aging and I'm actually happy about it because I think that means that I'm making it like I'm surviving. It's a test of endurance, you know. I think if we set people up anti-aging, when we age, we feel bad. I don't know. That's why I've started to let my grays come in because I'm like, God, I want to make sure that my daughter who's 21 and really caught up in this whole era of social media. It's okay to age. I'm cool with it. Well, another part of belly dance to me is it's totally acceptable for grandma. There's a grandma's dance, right, at the wedding. One of my friend's bands plays the dance of the grandmothers, Roxette Seti. And you just don't see that in ballet. You just don't see that in modern. Like, Well, you know, you brought up a really interesting point because here we go again with kind of the two separate sides of belly dance. Yes, there's the dance of the grandmother and every age gets up and dances socially. At a wedding, that's social dancing. So we don't have people put on their point shoes at a wedding and start dancing. So ballet is a classical art form that is on the theater stage and it is a professional art form. So in belly dancing, I think our problem is that we don't separate being a professional from being a hobbyist. And so I think it's so important that everybody has a recital and that people can get up and learn how to belly dance in social environments. So if you're at an Arabic wedding, you can get up and dance with grandma. But in belly dance, we actually don't have roles on a theater stage in a professional environment for enough more mature dancers. Do you understand that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a folkloric context where I feel like you might see, or you might see people that are 12 years old. I don't know. <laughs> right. I don't think we have enough imagery for more mature belly dancers. I don't think we have enough costuming for more mature belly dancers. I don't think we have enough position. I think more mature belly dancers are trying to stay and look younger instead of embrace their maturity and have a role. When you go see flamenco, oh my God, the matriarch in the back, in the center, between the ingenues on her right and the musicians on her left, I'm staring at this woman all night waiting for her to get up. 
Yes, at the end of the show when they get up, getting yeah. chills. I love that part of the show. Yeah, and the matriarch will just stand up slowly and I'll just burst into tears. I just lose it where, you know, we don't have that in belly dance. We don't have enough of that. We don't have the roles for maturing dancers professionally. Now, in a wedding, of course, it's social dancing. They don't look at it as belly dancing. It's their dance. So it's like you've gone to your friend's wedding and everybody is disco dancing. (laughs) That's what it's like for them. So it's actually not a professional venue. So we need more of that. That's why I'm so proud of Balanat because Balanat, I don't just talk about it. I present it on the stage. Mm-hmm. There's a space for the matriarch. There's a space for somebody who's, you're calling it mature dancers. Well, yeah, not just a space, but a position. When you look at Balanat, the dancers are working at such a mm-hmm. high level and they're all hobbyists, but they're working at such a high level because they all come from the same schooling and background and training. And you really feel there's a relief, I think, in everybody's soul and the audience when they see truly a position for all ages and sizes and genders and shapes and everything. Beautiful. Now, I don't just talk about it. I produce it. <laughs> That's kind of my personality. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. It's another one of your patterns, right? You're like, I'm not just going to dream about this. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, you know what? I'm not just going to say, we need this. I'm going to do it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. In addition to flamenco, that part of a flamenco performance, are there any other dance genres you've seen where there is a position, a role for more mature dancers? Oh, I think Indian dance, African dance, Tahitian. I mean, almost every other ethnic dance form other than belly dance. <laughs> I don't take ballet and modern and all of that into consideration because those are more Western mm-hmm. dance forms. But when you look at other ethnic dance forms, every dance form has mm-hmm. a position for a more mature dancer, but belly dance. And here's the problem. We have to create it because I'm a 53-year-old woman. I don't want to shove my tits into the same bra <laughs> costume I wore when I was 23. Oh my God, you know, I need new imagery. I need mature imagery. So <laughs> Beautiful. Now let's take a moment to dote on delicious whole food that makes us dancers glow. Featured light in my body food. We talked a little bit about avocados and olive oil and cooking. In all my shows, I feature a whole food plant-based ingredient, something that comes from plants, not from animals. Is there anything you want to throw in there that you love to cook with? Oh my God. Well, you know, my mom had a restaurant. I don't know if you knew that. In the 50s. I didn't know that. Yeah. She had a restaurant in the 50s in Los Angeles called the Nine Muses, which I just think is such a cool name. And my mom is an incredible cook. Lovely. The smells in the kitchen, the way... She would putter around in the kitchen. My mom never wrote a recipe down. She wouldn't allow anybody to write a recipe down. If I would say, oh, I want to learn how to cook this. And she'd be like, well, you have to watch me. Because she felt that cooking and movement were one. So I would have to sit in the kitchen and I was her assistant and chopping everything. But I had to watch her cook and how she danced her cooking. And that is how the recipes got into my body. So my mom was such a great cook, but if I was going to focus on one of her dishes that were, I would say, more plant-based, I can tell you my mother made the most incredible lentils and rice, and she'd do kidney bean and spinach with brown rice and garlic and the garlic and the garlic. Oh, it was soul food, people food, you know? 
Lovely. Lentils are pretty magical, aren't they? That's one of the things I love ordering at Lebanese restaurants and Moroccan and Ethiopia. I want their lentils. I want to taste what they put in them. Right. And you know, the thing is, is that my mom, they came here with nothing. And I really believe that that kind of cooking is probably the healthiest because my mom would say that they only had meat or fish once a week and everything was lentils and the rices and the salads. And that's what you grew up on. And so she made sure that I got all of that kind of cooking inside me, but we just can't beat it. <laughs> the Sicilians and the Greeks. I know the Greeks, they forage for their greens. That's part of oh, yeah. it's so and, long, right? So that's something. And we were both, you know, we're Greek and Sicilian on my mom's side. Like my great grandmother's last name was Greco. So Isabella asked her since she was eight years old, what do you want to do when you graduate high school? And since she was eight, she was like, I want to go to Greece. And I was like, oh my God, okay. So we went to Greece for her high school graduation and we ate our way all around <laughs> Greece. And it was like known as cooking. It was like my mother's cooking. That's what we call my mom. She's a Sicilian American. We call her Nona for my son. <laughs> Very sweet. Suhaila, is there anything else you'd like to add? This has been so fabulous. I would like to talk about something that I've been working on. I feel that our industry is in a really interesting place because of politics and everything that's happening. But I wanted to make sure that I'm able to reach and the school and the format is able to reach people, not just interested in belly dance or not just interested in the Middle East, but what we have to offer within the format is so much greater than that, that I've started teaching a dance, a philosophy that I call core dimension. So core dimension, you'll be hearing more about because it is what I'm going to be bringing into my community as well as outside of my community because it's not based on culture, it's based on movement and breath and overall health wellness and that kind of need for that spiritual balance. But core dimension is something that I'm really excited about and we'll be hearing more about it very soon. Suhaila's personal website, suhailasalampour.com, dives deeper into her core dimension program. You should really check it out. That's Suhaila, S-U-H-A-I-L-A, salampour.com. Suhaila, Thank you so, so much for everything that you've done for us that we don't even know about yet that has come to <laughs> other people and reached us in magical ways and normal ways and who knows how many other ways and the things that we will see and hear from you and your family in the future and experience. I can't wait to someday see a Balanat performance. Yes, I want to bring Balanat to New York because Angelique Canesworth just opened an art center in New Paltz and Angie is level five certified in both formats and Salampour School in New York. And I'm telling Angie, Angie, let's bring Balanat to New York. And she's totally into it and we're excited. So it's going to happen. Fabulous. Yeah, I'm working on it. It's really exciting, yeah. Again, I'm so glad that Anna Horn, our mutual friend, introduced us. Me too. It was great talking with you. And I just love your energy and I love your mission. And I wish you all the best. Thank you so much, Suhaila. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Please subscribe and let your friends know what you got out of this show. Dance with me on YouTube, listen to the music I've selected for you on Spotify, and try some free vegan recipes on aliciafree.com. This is Alicia Free, hoping this show helped you feel a little lighter.